pushed by Jokic, counted and won. Embiid again against Jokic, this time he pulls up. Did an excellent job with the drafting and the personnel with the Nuggets as Embiid. Outside behind Boss. Oh, Embiid goes right around Jokic and then smashes the rim. It's been absolutely beautiful to watch. He's showing you his dribble game all night long. The power game down inside. He'll take the hits and he'll get to the line. But also the rebounding tonight. Welcome back to the All Things Basketball Podcast. I'm your host, Vic Lopez, as always. And before the topics, I wanted to announce that I did a piece on the Oklahoma City Thunder, which is out now on the YouTube channel. It's in the show notes on this episode, as always, for you guys to enjoy. It's a nice little breakdown of what we've been seeing from OKC, and more specifically, the rising duo of Josh Giddy and Shea Gilgis-Alexander. It's a nice little breakdown of the team as a whole, uh, both for those of you that might not be following OKC and some of you that are either fans of the team or or know about how their season's been looking uh, so far. But yeah, I hope you guys enjoy that video. Uh, this episode's going to have a couple of topics, as always. Uh, Embiid's dominant game against Jokic and the Denver Nuggets uh, and how strong recency bias really is in terms of overreactions that drove me nuts about this matchup. Obviously, I wanted to also talk about the rookies, sophomores, and G League players that were selected for the Rising Stars game uh, for the All-Star game, and it's a new format. I believe it's a new format. If not, I'm just probably not remembering it well, but it does look interesting here, uh, and I'll be going over the list of the players on this pool. And also... I want to talk about a quick high school experience I had. I visited a game to support one of uh, my close friends, Coach Carlos, who's been on the pod. He is now an assistant coach for the high school team, uh, for the high school that we used to attend, uh, which is really good news for him. So I went to go watch that game Friday night and just wanted to talk about my experience watching that game. Uh, I was impressed, uh, but I was also surprised um, somewhat in a good way and also a bad way uh, with some of the things I saw. And yeah, I do want to start with the Embiid-Jokic matchup. Uh, not going to be a detailed breakdown of the game. I did watch, I watched the entire game, uh, but this isn't so much about the game itself. It's more about the conversation that a game like this brings. Obviously, between two MVP candidates, Jokic being the player that's chasing his third MVP in a row, Embiid chasing his first MVP of his career, um, obviously always feeling like he's disrespected. And, you know, I understand uh, the cause for concern uh, when it comes to him chasing MVPs and him wanting to feel like he gets the respect he deserves. Honestly, I think that this was... A very fun game. I think that the Nuggets blew this game. I think the Nuggets came out firing hard. Um, they were, I mean, at the half, the score was 73 to 58. <laughs> Nuggets were up. Um, obviously, these days, a lead like that isn't safe because of all the possessions, the speed of the game, the high volume threes, you know, just the runs that teams can get on. Uh, teams can get really hot, teams can get really cold, and leads can really get taken away uh, nowadays, more than ever, right? So, uh, but it was a comfortable lead. And the Nuggets, like I said, they started this game off super hot. The Sixers did not look ready for the challenge. And the second half comes along. And mind you, this entire time, uh, Embiid is cooking, right? Embiid completely in his bag in this game. And the the supporting cast for the Sixers, along with James Harden too, I'm not going to say that they had like, 
a banger of a game, right? Because you're looking at the points in this game. 14 points for Tobias Harris, 2 points for P.J. Tucker. Uh, let's see, 13 for DeAnthony Melton. James Harden had 17. He did have 13 assists. Um, but then you're looking at Tyrese Maxey, 13 points. Uh, Georges Niang had 14. But then after that, you know, not much. Um, this was a big Joel Embiid carry game. Uh, the supporting cast did knock down an insane amount of threes. Um, didn't look like they missed at all uh, that game. And so I'm going to look at the three-point percentage for the Sixers. Uh, the Sixers ended up winning this game. Uh, they were behind the entire time, and the Nuggets just fumbled, man. Like, I don't—I'm going to look at the turnovers because it really looked like they got super careless down the stretch. Let me see. Total turnovers for the Nuggets. 14 turnovers for the Nuggets. That's not good, right? Um, let's see. The, the Sixers, 11 turnovers for the Sixers is what I'm looking at here. Yeah, 11 turnovers for the Sixers. So, you know, just not, not a nice showing for the Nuggets. I mean, yes, they're playing in Philly. You know, so obviously the crowd's going to be not in their favor, um, but it did look like they fumbled this game. You know, they really threw this game away. I don't know. It, it was it was a weird game because you're looking at Michael Porter Jr., uh, you know, just he balled out in this game. Uh, you know, 20 points, right? Five for nine from the three really looked lights out today, uh, that game. Uh, seven for 11 from the field. So, yeah, you know, he definitely balled out. Didn't look like he missed at all. Um, Aaron Gordon did his thing. He had 18 points. Uh, Nikola Jokic, you can see it. I can see it here on the box score, 24 points. Uh, he did have seven turnovers, uh, but he did have two blocks, nine assists, eight rebounds. Um, he was two for two from three, eight for 12 from the field. So, you know, typical game from Jokic, highly efficient, you know, good amount of points, you know, spread out with the assists and rebounds. Uh, but you know, it was strange because you're looking at, you know, Michael Porter Jr. 20 points, Aaron Gordon, 18, you know, like I said, Jokic with 24 and then Jamal Murray with 22, you know, you get a little, you get some good contribution from the main guys. Um, but where this fell apart was them just turning the ball over and just missing shots. The Nuggets shot 41% from three, though. So they were shooting elite as a team. Uh, the Sixers just outshot them, though. You know, 51% from three. You're shooting 51% from three. You're most likely going to win that game. Uh, that's exactly what happened here. You know, you look at the supporting cast uh, and everyone else besides Embiid on this team, two for four from three for Tobias Harris. You got uh, DeAnthony Melton, three for five from three. James Harden, three for six. Tyrese Maxey, two for five. Georges Niang, four for seven. So, you know, you got guys knocking down shots um, at every chance that they basically got. Um, you couple that with a 47.18 rebound game for Embiid. You know, three steals, two blocks. Embiid was a monster in this game. And I knew as soon as this game ended, by the way, I could not believe the Sixers actually came back and won this game. Um, like I said, the, the Nuggets really just mailed it in uh, in the fourth quarter. They, they really just, you know, and this game was close, right? Like the total score of this game, 126 to 119. Uh, it was very back and forth. Like I said, it started off the Nuggets looking like they were just going to run away with it. It just looked like one of those games where, where Embiid was just going to stack the st stuff, the stat sheet and just lose. Right. Uh, like I've seen sometimes from him where he'll just pop off, uh, but he'll pop off in a loss. That's exactly the kind of game I thought it was going to be. Uh, but man, Embiid kept taking it in Embiid just could not miss. I mean, every time he shot the ball, it felt like it was going in. And that was basically how it went for him. And that goes to what I, what I have as a concern for the Sixers, right? Like we all know Embiid is, one of the best players in the NBA, 
right? One of the most unstoppable players uh, in the league. And obviously, he's very skilled for his size. He's very strong, um, you know, and he is, he plays a lot of mind games, right? So, so he, he is a superstar center, but he falls in love with the jumpers. And we know this about Embiid, right? And we know that it comes back to haunt him sometimes, you know, and, and that's something that people uh, really attack him about, right? Like him having smaller defenders guarding him and instead of backing them down or just attacking them, right, and just taking the contact and finishing over them, he'll settle for fadeaways, for step backs, you know, catch and shoot, face up jumpers, right? Just things that, that don't really, that really bail out the defenders, you know, when he falls in love with the jumpers. And I'm going to say this about Embiid. When his jumper is falling, like when he's actually knocking down the jumpers, threes, mid-range shots, whatever he puts up, if they're falling, he is unstoppable. Like you you have nothing to bank on when you're playing against Embiid and he's knocking down jumpers. That's the problem because he gets that confidence and he's going to keep putting shots up, right? And so you need a center, right? You need someone tall to guard Embiid, right? Or, or a very athletic, undersized big, right? Um, or, or a strong of a wing as you can get to kind of try to bother Embiid. But let's face it, man, Embiid is one of the stronger players in the league. Uh, he's also one of the taller players in the league. And he's very skilled, right? He's got the post moves. He can definitely shoot. He has, the, he has you know, a decent dribble package for his size. Um, you know, and he, like I said, he's very strong. So he can finish basically against anyone. Um, so, you know, he, he is a big problem for teams, especially for an, an unathletic center like Jokic, right? Um, you know, and, and there was a play late in the third quarter where Embiid kind of like, he, he, he gets this one-on-one possession with Jokic and he just flat out puts the ball down on the ground and just blows by him and he gets a reverse dunk. Very powerful, uh, very highlighty dunk, right? Like you're definitely going to see that dunk uh, on the recap. If you watch the recap of the game, um, definitely got, it's, it's for sure has to be there. I would be shocked if they didn't put that play there on the recap, uh, the highlight videos for it, but it was a powerful dunk and, you know, it just goes to show, you know, when these guys go head to head, Jokic, obviously he, he always shows up, right? But Embiid definitely showed up to this game with, the kind of mindset that he's like, listen, like this is a guy that I am losing MVPs to. Uh, I want to show the world that I'm here to dominate this matchup. Right. And he did, you know, he did. But like I said, um, the jumper was falling insanely. Right. I mean, from the field, 18 for 31 from the field, right. Uh, Four for seven from three. I mean, like if Embiid's having a night like that, where his threes are falling, when he pump fakes from the three point line, the bigs are jumping. Right, like whoever guards him is actually jumping and respecting it because the, the the shot has fallen a couple of times, right? So so they respect it, right, after that. And then that allows him to just get to the basket, right? So if he blows by your big that's guarding him on the perimeter, no one else, your, your second guy is a forward down there and he's going to finish over that forward every time. Uh, at the very least, Embiid's going to kick it out, right? Make a skip pass, right, to the other side of the corner three, right? Something like that. So, you know, Embiid can definitely cause a lot of problems uh, for teams, but he can also cause problems for his own team, right? Like, put a night where his jumper isn't falling, right? And he's very reliant on that jumper sometimes, right? Like, he just very, 
very often falls in love with the jumper and it takes him out of games, right? Like it really, like I said, it bails out the defense. That's something that I don't like about Embiid. It's something that I don't trust about the Sixers. They get very stagnant sometimes. Uh, You know, Embiid, just such a complainer as well. You know, this is a guy, he complains every single play, right? Every single one of his possessions. I would say 95% of Embiid's possessions are any bit of contact from a defender, and he's yelling. I mean, you constantly hear Embiid yelling, you know, nonstop, man, looking at the refs while he's attacking the basket. Uh, I mean, he's constantly, you know, playing mind games with the refs and yelling and doing this and that, and, you know, obviously gets the crowd involved. He's a character, right? He's He's definitely an entertaining player to watch, but he complains way too much. But anyways, you know, so what? what annoyed me about this game is that it was a great game, it's very interesting when you get to watch two centers, right? Two superstar centers. You don't really get a lot of that these days, uh, but two superstar centers at their best doing their thing, right? In such different ways. And just, you know, it was a fun game, right? Tic-tac. It was back and forth. The Nuggets started off with a big lead. The Sixers start chipping away. The Nuggets folded in the fourth quarter and they basically throw the game away and the Sixers come back. It was a great win for the Sixers. You know, they, they switched it up at the half by putting PJ Tucker on Joel Embiid or I'm sorry, P.J. Tucker on uh, Nikola Jokic, which, you know, not that P.J. Tucker is a is a stopper, right? Like a Jokic stopper, but he does make things difficult. He's a little more quicker, right, uh, on his feet. So he can really cover some ground and he can really get physical with Jokic. He can get underneath him. And so let's say Jokic does beat P.J. Tucker. At the rim is now Joel Embiid, right? Instead of if you put Embiid on Jokic, which is what we were seeing early in the game, um, once Jokic does happen to get by Embiid, uh, there's no one down low to protect the rim, right? And it was just free baskets for Jokic. Um, or, you know, the team collapses to stop Jokic because Embiid got beaten on the perimeter and then Jokic is going to find a teammate for open threes. That's what was happening in the first half. And so, you know, credit to Doc Rivers for making the switch, putting P.J. Tucker on Jokic, and then that allows Embiid to roam the paint, right? To be more of a... Uh, you know, be the anchor defensively that we know he is for the Sixers. So that was a great swap, uh, a good little switch, right? Like a good change to make at the half. I'm not going to say that that completely made the reason for losing this game for the Nuggets, but I am going to say that was a big factor. Uh, but I do think that they got careless with the ball. They started to turn it over. They started to miss shots. The Sixers played good defense and Embiid was unstoppable the entire part of this game right like from start to finish he was knocking down every single shot I mean it was it was a masterpiece of a game for Embiid Um, it really stamped some points in the MVP conversation for him but this is where I get a little annoyed right because on Twitter on social media anywhere right sports channels whatever wherever you get your content you start to see oh, oh, this isn't a conversation. Embiid is the best center in the league. Embiid is is uh, is far better than Jokic. Embiid should be the MVP. Uh, you know, it's not a conversation between these two. And then I have to just take a step back and say, can we relax about that? I don't, I really don't understand. I get it. It's It's a huge game for Embiid. It comes against a player that's competing with him for all NBA selections, for MVPs, they play the same position. I get it. You know, I understand. It's inevitable to have that conversation, but can we not overreact? Because we know that when it comes to playoff time, uh, Embiid has never been 
as good as he is in the regular season. And so what I decided to do is I go to landofbasketball.com, which to me might be my favorite website. Uh, it's definitely my favorite website to compare players. Uh, if you've never been on Land of Basketball, all you have to do is Google uh, two players, right? Like you'll Google, let's say, put Joel Embiid versus Nikola Jokic, right? Land of Basketball will be one, two, or the third link that Google suggests, right? And Land of Basketball is a big library of just stats, right? And it'll put those two players up against each other, right, with their stats, and you'll get the playoff stats, you'll get the All-NBA selections, you basically get their whole resume, right? So, and, and they put them side by side. So it's an awesome website to compare players individually, and this is what I'm looking at. This is playoff stats, okay? Nikola Jokic, points per game, 26.4. Joel Embiid, 24. Now, I don't think I have to remind you guys, but jo uh, Nikola Jokic plays in the Western Conference and Embiid plays in the Eastern Conference. Okay, I'm not saying that, you know, that the East is weak. I'm not saying the West is stronger. Uh, traditionally, yes. Like, obviously, in most of the time of the league, uh, the Western Conference has been the stronger conference. I will argue that this season it's pretty even. Um, I think that both conferences are, are pretty strong. Uh, this season and last season as well. So, but all that being said, so points per game, like I said, Joel Embiid 24, Nikola Jokic 26.4 for the playoffs. Rebounds per game, Joel Embiid 11.1, Jokic 11.5. So, so far, Jokic has more rebounds per game, more points per game in the playoffs. Uh, assists per game, I don't think you need me to tell you this, but Jokic 6.4, Joel Embiid 2.8. So, so far, Jokic leads points, rebounds, assists. We go to steals per game. Nikola Jokic, one steal per game. Joel Embiid, 0.8. So more steals, more assists, more rebounds, more points for Nikola Jokic in the playoffs. Blocks per game, Embiid wins this category. 1.5 for Embiid, 0.9 for Nikola Jokic. So you see where I'm going with this, right? Like, people want to start tweeting and posting that Embiid, that it's such a massive gap between these two guys. And I want to say this, when the playoffs come, no, there, there is no massive gap between these two guys, okay? When it matters most, Nikola Jokic elevates his game. And not only that, but he's also more sustainable, right? Like, he, he just ends up playing more games than Embiid, right? And I don't want to factor in the health part to compare who's better because, to me, you have to take into account when they're both healthy, right? Who do you take? And so, how do you argue when you see a player that's better than they are in the regular season, like they're, they're even better in the playoffs. And that's not the case for Embiid. Embiid is worse in the playoffs compared to the regular season, you know, and that's, I'll leave it at that, um, you know. So by the stats, like I said, in points, in rebounds, in assists, in steals, per game in the playoffs for a career, uh, Jokic has Embiid beat. So before anyone wants to go running around saying that it's a massive gap between these two, that is massive cap, okay? Like, there's no, no, right? It's not, it's not a big gap. It's not, uh, it's not a, a foregone conclusion, right? That's BS, okay? Uh, each one of these guys is equally deserving, uh, in my opinion. If, you know, for as far as a dominant center in the NBA, right? I just hate the narrative. You know, Embiid dominates him in one matchup, uh, in a regular season game, and they're ready to crown Embiid as the best center. I mean, come on. Like, that's that's a little much for me, um, and I don't over 
rate these regular season games? Can we can we over can we be overly excited about an outcome of a regular season game? Yeah, you know, because the games are fun to watch. And yes, you can use them as points to say, hey, you know, and be dominated their matchup. Yes, that also is a factor. But it's a long regular season. It's a long playoff race, right? Um, it's just a long season in general. So, you know, just dial it back a little bit, right? Anyone out there overreacting to that game, ready to crown Embiid, just relax, okay? Um, so, yeah, you know, it was a great game, good game for the Sixers, good game for Embiid, uh, but I want to move on to the next topic. So, I want to just, you know, I'll just quickly, quickly go through this one. So, I went to the high school game. Uh, this was Everglades High School versus Flanagan. Uh, you guys probably aren't familiar because you guys, most of you listeners aren't even some of you aren't even from the U.S., <laughs> right? So, uh, and some of you are, but, you know, you're not going to know a lot of these high schools. So, uh, I go to this game, and first of all, it's a JV basketball game, right? High school game. So, it's the it's the younger kids. Also, you know, the team is really good. I don't know their record. Uh, I think, I, I could be wrong, uh, but I do think they are the, they're the best team in the county. Uh, Everglades High School is, the team that uh, Coach Carlos uh, coaches for now, the assistant coach for them. And so I watched them, you know, solid defense, great energy, but I'm not going to talk about like that, the specifics of that game, just my general experience of watching this high school game, watching how comfortable, how much more comfortable kids are shooting threes than they are just laying the ball up, right? Like so often from both teams, both Everglades High School and Flanagan, like I would watch these kids uh, blow layups over and over and over again, right? And you could see how uncomfortable a lot of the kids were under the basket, right? Where it should be easy to get buckets, right? Easier to get buckets, right? It's a layup for God's sake, right? And you can't, I can't, I couldn't help but notice, you know, and I had a conversation with some of the parents behind me, you know, they looked like a, a younger group of parents, um, that they did seem to know about basketball. Um, I could tell that they've been, you know, to all these games. Um, and I was telling them, I was like, are you guys seeing the same thing I'm seeing? Like, like, it's crazy to see, uh, this generation of kids, like they are so much more comfortable just shooting threes, you know, versus when they're under the basket, it's almost like they don't know what to do, right? Like they scramble, they, they lose their head. Like they, they go a little wacky, right? Like a lot of missed layups, right? Uh, missed layups, on their own, like in a fast break, I saw a bunch of layups missed, um, you know, and these are good kids, right? These aren't bad players. I, I watched them play um, and they are good. Um, it, it was just surprising to see the discomfort under the rim versus from much farther, right? Kids just practice shooting way more than attacking the basket and playing obviously below the rim in terms of just uh, a layup package, right? I mean, that's it's really gone away from that, right? At least from what I've been noticing, right? Sometimes you play pickup and the game is just everyone's shooting threes. You know, it was just a, you know, it was cool. It was an interesting game. Uh, the high school, uh, Everglades High School, which uh, the team that I'm rooting for, obviously, uh, they blew that team out. I mean, they were winning by 30 um, and they ended up winning the game by 20. So, you know, it was a fun game to watch. You know, I saw so a couple of, you know, I think I saw a couple of dunks. Uh, a couple of missed dunks, a couple of made dunks. Uh, but, you know, uh, it was just interesting to see the discomfort uh, so close to the basket versus farther from the basket. You know, it's 
pretty weird to see that. Um, it's also no surprise because of where the NBA has gone um, and just what's being practiced these days. Uh, but anyways, I do want to move on to uh, the rookies, sophomores, and G League players that were announced for the Rising Stars game for the All-Star Weekend. Uh, this is probably like, I'm not going to lie. Now, this might just be me geeking out, but am I am I the only one that's more more interested in the in the Rising Stars game than the actual All-Star game? And I don't want to sound like a geek that just... You know, just saying that to to sound like like I like I'm interested in in the game. No one else is, right? Like I don't know though. You know, because so often we see these these all star games with the NBA players, right? Like the vets, and you see these games, right? Not a lot of defense, and they've changed a lot of the formats for these games to make it more competitive. So yes, you know, obviously it's going to be the more skilled game, right? You're going to see the bigger names, but in the Rising Stars game. Uh, the pool is out, right? The pool, the pool is official. So I'm going to read you the NBA sophomores, right? Uh, Jose Alvarado, Scotty Barnes, Josh Giddy, Jalen Green, Quentin Grimes, Bones Highland, Evan Mobley, Trey Murphy, Alperin Shengun, and Franz Wagner. Those are the sophomores. Uh, not bad. You know, that's, man, that's a that's a fun pool of players. And then we go to the NBA rookies, right? Paolo Bancaro, no surprise. Jalen Duran from the Detroit Pistons. A.J. Griffin from Atlanta, solid player, solid pick. Uh, Jaden Ivey from the Detroit Pistons as well. Walker Kessler, who's been awesome. Uh, rookie Rudy Gobert, like I said on a couple of pods. One of the guys that I think is going to put on a big show, uh, Benedict Matherin from the Indiana Pacers. Keegan Murray from Sacramento. He has been awesome this season. Andrew Nemhart from the Indiana Pacers. Jabari Smith Jr. that's been kind of meh, right, in terms of his strengths, which is shooting. Uh, defensively, he's been awesome, right, but he's he, he was projected to be a solid two-way player. Uh, the three-point shot, you know, and the shooting in general has been kind of wonky, right? Not too great, but obviously nice to see Jabari Smith Jr. on this one. Jeremy Sohan, who's been solid for San Antonio. I think he dropped 30 the other night. Um, and then Jalen Williams from OKC, that freak athlete guard uh, from Santa Clara that you guys will definitely hear about uh, if you watch the video I put out for OKC. Now, the NBA G League, and I'm familiar with almost all of them here. City Sissoko, and I can't say I know who that is. Um, but then you have Scoot Henderson uh, from the G League Ignite, obviously. So City Sissoko is from the G League Ignite. Now, I haven't watched a lot of G League Ignite games. Uh, m to be honest with you, most of the stuff I watch for G League Ignite is Scoot Henderson-focused. Uh, so I do watch a lot of Scoot Henderson possessions. Um, you know, uh, Mojave King, another G League Ignite player. Uh, I'm usually on top of the G League Ignite, but I haven't been watching a ton of their games lately. So the only person I'm familiar with on G League Ignite is... Uh, I think his name is John Jenkins. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, he is a laser sniper, right? Just great three-point shooter. I'm so surprised that that guy has not been on an NBA team. Uh, but yeah, obviously, Scoot Henderson. Uh, Kenneth Lofton Jr., obviously Kenny Lofton Jr. Uh, from the G League. He was drafted to the Memphis Grizzlies, and he was on Team USA's uh, FIBA U19 roster. You've heard me talk about Kenny Lofton. He dominated Summer League. He's dominating the G League. And you're going to get a good taste and a good look at Kenny Lofton Jr., who should undoubtedly be 
uh, on the NBA roster, in my opinion. Uh, you got Mac McClung, right? Freak athlete. I think he's from the Delaware Blue Coats, if that's what I'm looking at here correctly. That team is usually stacked in the G League. Um, but yeah, Mac McClung's going to put on a show. Uh, he is in that dunk contest roster as well. So we're going to see a lot of Mac McClung on that weekend. Leonard Miller from the G League Ignite, definitely familiar with him. Scotty Pippen Jr., another G League player. So, you know, going to be awesome to see just this group of young and, and you know, up-and-coming, like, G League players as well. You know, more exposure, right? Especially the G League Ignite. You know, I mean, the G League Ignite, they have four players on this roster, right? So really getting some promotion. So that's great. Um, you know, so what I think about these Rising Stars, I'm going to tell you this. I think I'm going to enjoy the Rising Stars game more than the actual all-star game with the vets. And I say that because this is a game where these guys are a little more loose, right? Not just, you know, restricted to their roles on their NBA teams. And we're going to kind of see like, you know, a little more flavor, right? A little more uh, individual play from these guys, right? It's going to be, it's going to be a more flexible game. The game doesn't matter. It's more about fun, you know, and I'm sure a lot of these guys are also very competitive. Um, but, you know, it, it kind of, it takes away the stress of, of the stats and, and, you know, the, the, the importance of winning or losing, right? This is more of just a showcase, right? And so we could see, these guys pop off in a really dope game. So the way it's going to work is this is the rules for this one. So so it's going to feature a three-game mini tournament, right? Uh, let's see. So tw the 21 NBA players will be drafted onto three teams of seven, right? So three teams with seven players each. And the G League players will make up the fourth team. So the G League players are going to be their own team, right? And the teams are going to be coached by Pau Gasol, Joe Kim Noah, and Darren Williams, right? Jason Terry is going to coach the G League team. Uh, so that's pretty cool. So, yeah, I mean, that's going to be awesome, right? We're going to see a mini draft with these rookies and sophomores, and then the G League team is just going to be their own. Uh, I'm rooting for the G League guys, to be honest with you, um, just because, you know, these are guys that are just playing so hard and fighting so hard just to get some, just to get an NBA contract, just to actually make the NBA. These guys don't aspire to stay in the G League, right? Like they're playing because they want to make it to the NBA. They want to get a, they want to play in the big leagues, right? And, you know, I'll be rooting for them for sure. But I want to move on with the next and last topic of this one. And, you know, obviously I'm a little late to the party because last episode was last week, but the starters were announced for the East and West, as you know, right? And so the starters from the West are going to be Steph, uh, LeBron, Luka Doncic, Jokic, and Zion, right? Not Anthony Davis, but Zion, who, I mean, that was my five, right? That was my five. I'm happy to see that five. Some people aren't happy about the Zion part of it, but you know what? If it's going to be between Zion and, and, and Anthony Davis, I'll give it to Zion, right? Team success, yes, they've been dropping a ton of games, um, you know, but team success, right, and performance. And if I remember correctly, I'm pretty sure Zion played more games than Anthony Davis, um, I'm not looking at that right now, but so the East starters pool, right? Uh, KD, Kyrie, uh, Giannis, Donovan Mitchell, and Jason Tatum, not Embiid, right? And, you know, you know how I feel about that, right? If it was up to me, I would have Donovan Mitchell, Tatum, Giannis, KD, and Embiid, right? No Kyrie, 
in my opinion. I would just, you know, I just value what Donovan Mitchell has done for the Cavs this year. Um, I think that it's it's been a bigger performance than Kyrie this year. And I mean, listen, I don't care whether it is Kyrie or Mitchell, but I do think that on this East All-Star pool for the starters, it should be Embiid, Giannis, KD, and Tatum, right? Those are the four that I can't give in on. Unfortunately, because of positions, Embiid gets booted, and so we have Kyrie and Donovan Mitchell. Uh, but nonetheless, you know, it's it's a good all-star pool, but, you know, uh, the reserves aren't going to be announced until it says here February 2nd. So, unfortunately, I won't be able to give those names out on this episode. So, uh, you know, who knows uh, what who the reserves are going to be, but obviously we know the vote count for Embiid and a lot of other obvious players. Um, so, you know, we'll stay tuned for that, and I can't wait until... I mean, we already got the snub list, right? Like, people are already mad about some people that aren't starting, um, but the full snub list comes out when the reserves are announced, right? Because th- the reserves is really where it's the last chance to make the all-star team, right? To get an all-star selection on your resume, right? So that's that's when the real snub list comes out because we know some of these players that were snubbed from the starting lineup are gonna are not going to be snubbed from the reserve list. But then it's the players that don't make the reserve cut that create this, you know, chaos that people care about for like two days and then everyone forgets about it. Because let's be honest, the All-Star game... Yes, it's an honor. Yes, it's an honor to be named an all-star. It's good for your resume. You always want to make an all-star team if you're one of the stars of the NBA. Um, but let's be honest. What matters the most is all-NBA selections. Are you in the playoffs? And are you winning games in the playoffs, right? Like, I mean, winning when the games matter is what matters most. Uh, the rest of this is just icing on the cake, right? Um, so it, with that being said... Don't forget to check the show notes if you haven't watched the YouTube video for the Oklahoma City Thunder. Like I said, link is in the show notes. That's going to do it for this one. This is the All Things Basketball Podcast. I'm your host, Vic Lopez, as always, and I'll catch you guys on the next one.